James Hahn II. And I'm Mark LaCour. And you're listening to This Week in Oil and Gas. This is the show for busy oil pros who want to quickly keep their finger on the pulse of the industry. Episode 36. Welcome into the 36 Chambers of Death, son. Yeah, isn't this cool? 36 <laughs> episodes, we're still going strong. We are still going strong. No love for my Wu-Tang reference? <laughs> no, no my my Wu Tang reference is for is for my special friend that we'll talk about at the end of this show, um, but but we're going to kick it off with something happened this week, did it not, Mark? Yes, something absolutely did happen. What happened? We picked up our first sponsor, an underwriting sponsor for uh, for for the beginning of 2016. We can't say much more than that right now. Not yet. It's uh, we're still not at the point net where we can say who it is, but it's it's a company everybody knows of. Now, I will say this much: if you want to be like our sponsor, who we can't mention, and get in front of our oil and gas audience, you need to reach out to us because we only have how many spots left open, James? We have two supporting sponsor spots left open. Right, and once they're gone, they're gone, folks. So, um, you know, reach out to us. We'd be happy to work with you. This is a way for you to get your product or service out into the oil and gas industry and get to know pretty two fine fellows. <laughs> Absolutely. And just in case you didn't know, we just crossed 34,000 downloads. We have listeners in over 110 countries around the world, and we're averaging, it seems like 900 to 1,000 now per episode download. So it's a lot of earbuds around the globe. So thank you to everyone that, that tunes into us. Let's start off with some ridiculousness, though, because we're going to do the first Friday q and I'm super excited about this. This is the the second edition of the first Friday Q&A. But you had a question about something that you saw today, Mark. Yeah, so um, I was at an event. I'm not going to say which conference it was, but it was a decent-sized conference. And there's a bunch of booths, a bunch of vendors, and I'm doing my usual thing, walking around, talking to people. And I see this booth, and I had to snap a picture of it and send it to James. And the tagline for wait, the Wait, wait, company- no, you, you sent me a question. You said, identify... <laughs> Can you identify what's wrong with this, right? Yeah, so I shot a, a, a pic of the of the booth, and I uh, sent it to James and asked him if he could identify what's wrong with it. And I'm not going to read the company's entire tagline, but the beginning of their tagline is, and this is a good question, quiz for our audience. Let's see if you catch this. Yeah. The tagline, top, the beginning of the tagline is, five of the top ten super majors rely on us. So five of the top ten super majors rely on us. Dun, dun, and what made it really dun, dun, funny dun, dun, dun. is I went I went and talked to the the guy at the booth because he saw me taking a picture, and I asked him about their expertise in oil and gas, and he looked me square in the eye while he's standing under the sign that says five of the top ten super majors, and tells me that we are oil and gas experts. We have a lot of expertise in oil and gas. So James, what is wrong with that? There are not ten super majors, my friend. <laughs> no, there's only five, right? Uh, Chevron, BP, Exxon, Shell, Total. There's only five super majors. Well, who so are they? They were listing what Halliburton. <laughs> yeah, and so I'm I'm thinking if you don't even know what a super major is, and it managed to work its way through your entire company and get approved as your tagline on your booth on display for all the oil and gas people that are walking by that actually know how many super majors there are, something's wrong. Yeah, and and you also didn't spell super majors right, and the rest of the tagline is gobbledygook jargon. Um, so reach out to us, folks, whoever know that tagline is, and we'll help you out with that. <laughs> Yeah, it would be so easy for to help you out on this one. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, enough enough clowning around. Um, we have some questions. We got a lot of questions to get to. And uh, I thank you to everyone who wrote in. We have some really great detailed questions. 
And let's just kick it off with Will um, from it's he's a UK oil and gas consultant. He uh, he undisclosed for the company, and so his job title is design verification engineer. So here's his question: Hi. I would like to ask whether it is now a good time to invest in small oil and gas companies which are acquiring offshore assets in companies other than the USA. A couple of interesting opportunities I have noted include the New, New Zealand-based Mossman Oil and Gas, a UK-based union and uni, UK-based union Jack Oil. Purely as examples, these companies are raising capital with the aim to start producing in 2016 for small fields, which they have recently acquired. Is this a great investment opportunity with your estimates of the oil price increasing from next, uh, from, for next year, or is this too risky right now? I guess their break-even costs are going to, be, going to play a big part in this. Any input would be greatly appreciated. Mark yeah. LaCour, you, you are not an investment advisor. Let's disclaim that. Yeah, let's get that out of the way, right? But, Will, what a great question. And the answer is it is a good time to be investing, right? There's some smart people out there. Um, that have capital or access to capital that know the price of crudes could go back up. And so what they're doing is they're buying assets right now while they're devalued, literally for pennies on the dollar. And so, um, uh, Will, just so you know, once again, we don't give investment advice. I've actually invested uh, personally in some of these companies because I know the price of crudes come back. And when it comes back, these companies are going to take off. And the technology is there where they can actually operate incredibly efficient, even offshore. So so um, now, uh, let me caveat that by saying that you need to look at the company that you're investing in and look at their business practices. Look how long they've been in business. Um, if it's somebody that just started up and they're funded by investment money, run. Run, <laughs> Don't run, yeah. run. But if it's a company that's been per, been in operations for you know a year or a decade or even longer, like the two companies you mit- mentioned, they know what they're doing. So, yes, it's a good time to invest there. What's going on out in New Zealand right now? Uh, New Zealand has has so much natural gas that they're trying to figure out what the hell to do with it. Um, and what they need to do with it, and, and it's going to be the same thing that's happening in Australia, is is they need to partner with some companies, put some good legislation in place, and start building some LNG plants so they can start selling to the Asia-Pacific market. Got it. And that's going to happen. I mean, they're right. Yeah, they, they'll happen. just they'll, Will they just link into the infrastructure for Australia? No, they, they end up having to build their own, but the, the money's there because the business model makes sense. There's just a ton of natural gas down in that corner of the of the world. James, we're in the U.S. We are the number one gas supplier. So, yes, there's a ton down there, but we have a bunch of it in our backyard, too. USA. USA. US. All right. So um, anything else? Any parting words for Will? No, but he's, you're, Will, you're looking at the right place right now. So good job. Yeah. All right. So thank you for submitting that, Will. Bart from Terra Guidance. He's a sales manager. One of my favorite people in the world. You know that, Mark. <laughs> my sales managers. The poor guys. How do operators typically approach drilling obligations during a downturn? Can U.S. companies bid for contracts in places like Iran? All right. So two separate questions, uh, Bart. Let's go to your first one. Now, I'm not exactly sure, Bart, what you mean when you say how do they approach drilling obligations. So I'm going to take a stab at, and I'm going to guess at what you're talking about. What I'm guessing you're talking about is companies that have contractual obligations for drilling um, that was probably signed before the downturn, and now the downturns here, they're contractually obliged, but they end up losing money. And if that's what you're talking about, what's happening now is in all these contracts, there's a termination um, penalty, right? So if you if either party terminates the contract, one party has to pay the other one a million dollars or whatever. I'm actually seeing this, and I haven't seen this uh, since the uh, downturn of the 80s. What was that, 82, I think? 84, yeah, well, 84, yeah. 84. But, 
companies are actually willing to pay that termination clause because it's cheaper than they're fulfilling their contractual obligations. So that tells you how bad it is um, on the operator side right now. And, and hopefully that's what you're asking me. Uh, your second question, can U.S. companies bid for contracts in places like Iran? Right now, no. If the sanctions get lifted, yes. But what a lot of American companies have done is partnered with companies that do have the ability to drill in Iran so they kind of get ahead of the curve. So, um, you know, I hope that helps answer your question. Well, one thing to follow up on that, though, because he said places like Iran. So how would someone go about getting into the Middle East, for instance? Well, the Middle East is is relatively – this could sound so bad. Middle East is actually really not that hard to get business in, right? You need to find one of the um, – the, the nationalized oil companies need to reach out to somebody that's mid-level, you know, VP level of, of operations. He's probably a minor blood relative to royalty. You jump on a plane and the business custom in the Middle East is that you show up. Now, remember, you haven't met this guy. You show up with a bag full of, you know, $1,000 worth of Xbox and Xbox games for his kids. Are you kidding this, me? No. In this country, it would be called bribery. That is <laughs> – it's how business is done in the Middle East. Um, when in Rome. Yeah, and, and, and it's, it's just part of the culture. And let me tell you, a lot of people who've never been to the Middle East think of camels and deserts and um, you know, all the violence that's going on there. You go to Abu Dhabi, the taxi it picks you up is either a BMW or Mercedes. The hotel is the nicest hotel you've ever seen. They have the world's largest indoor ski park. You know, I mean, it, this is luxury at its finest. You see more expensive cars over there. Business is done differently than uh, is done in the U.S. or Europe, but it's also done quicker. If you make a good personal connection with that VP, he will give you a little bit of business, and he will test you, and he will see if you can perform. And if you perform, he gives you a little bit more. So, um, you know, if you're asking how to do business in the Middle East, um, that's that's how it's done. And one thing that I can add to that is that Drilling Info has all of those bid blocks in con that are available in their system. So if you are looking to see exactly what's available where, that's one resource that you could go to. Yeah, but you're just talking about actual mineral rights. I think this guy's talking about how to get, you know, if you're a boiler maker or if you're a tree designer or whatever, how to get those type of contracts. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, that's a good point. Well, what, what I'm saying is if, if, uh, if, you, uh, if you're a smaller operator that wants to go over there and, and actually get in on, on a block, you can find out what's available as far as the land. Yeah. Okay, perfect. Well, thanks for that, Bart. And by the way, we're going to have everybody's uh, you know, URLs and everything linked up in the show notes at triberocket.com forward slash TW36. So we'll move on to the next one. It was actually left over from the first show, and, and I forgot to include it, and then I lost the name. So apologies to the person that submitted this question. Hopefully we give you a good answer to make up for that. I would like to know what type of new permitting issues on the operator side that might hinder the industry from reaching that, quote, light at the end of the tunnel sooner on both state and federally regulated levels versus past issues. Also, which states have been have has been the easiest mo or most difficult to obtain permits from if companies have been in the position to drill or recomplete? So uh, lots of questions there, right? Mysterious person that James lost your name. <laughs> um, so we'll, we'll tackle this. Uh, so the 
what type of new permit issues on the operation side might hinder the industry. There's a lot of stuff cooking in the EPA right now that would just add layers and layers of cost on the industry. And it's stuff that doesn't actually move the needle from an environmental point of view. Um, and that's at the federal level. Um, now, each state also has its own legislations. And I think we talked about last show how about states like Pennsylvania are starting to change some of the tax structures, which is going to put another layer of, of cost on the industry. That will actually hinder it. Um, and then the, the, the big thing is um, in the U.S., is the federal government going to step in and regulate fracking at a federal level, which nobody wants? And, and the federal government can hardly run itself, much less understand fracking. Um, so that's been talked about a good bit. Those are things that would actually hinder the industry if any of that stuff gets passed. Um, and, and things like the renewable fuel standard, right? That thing needs to be revoked. It's still there. The only people who benefit from it are the coin, corn farmers who right. get a government subsidy, right? Yeah. None of the population benefits from it, and the industry doesn't benefit for it. The funny thing about that, James, is there's a class of vehicles, and you'll see it on the back of a lot of vehicles. We'll say E85. E85, yeah. yeah. I, I'm from Michigan. I'm very familiar. Okay, so here's one thing I just find hilarious. Ponzi People buy E85 vehicles thinking they're helping the environment. They don't. It's a vehicle that can run a higher mix of ethanol. And if you take a map of the United States and graph out where most E85 vehicles are sold, it's the east and west coast. Then if you graph out where can you actually buy E85 fuel, it's in the center of the country where there are no E85 vehicles. And it's like this is the most ridiculous thing, but it's all motivated by government subsidies, not um, the, the open business market. So, so I, want, uh, I want to hazard a guess at the second question, which is what are the easiest, Texas and North Dakota maybe? Yep, that, you nailed it. Texas yeah! and North Dakota. What are the most difficult? It depends how far you want to take that. Like in New York, you can't drill it all <laughs> yeah, over New there. New York is definitely Where, probably the hardest. Yeah, right across the street in Pennsylvania, they're making money left and right, and there's jobs and people are happy. And then the funny thing about New York is they took a stance and they said, we think fracking's bad for the environment. We don't want it in our state. And that's fine. It's their right. But they keep buying frack gas. You don't see them. So if they really believed that that fracking is bad, why do they keep buying all the frack gas in Pennsylvania? The, 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 the cubic million, billion, whatever of New York City, I, I did that research, I don't know, a year and a half ago, just be, you know, probably around this issue. It's insane. I mean, how much they – we're against fracking, but we're going to uh, – it's just like well, – I, I went a little political there. But Bernie Sanders does hate Uber but uses it 100 percent of the time. Just throwing that in there. Yeah, it'd be like you saying I hate fur while you're in a fur coat. I just I just I don't get it, but whatever. All right. So I think uh I'm I'm feeling good about myself on that Texas uh North Dakota part. <laughs> Steve Johnson from Oil Patch Surplus would like to know what is the going selling rate for oil producing leases per barrel? And this is a complicated question because we don't really have enough information, do we? Yeah, I, we can't answer this because I mean what type of oil, WTIs, Brent, um, you know, where in the country is there a, um, uh, a constraint in, in transport? So there's a crack spread. I mean, there's just, there's just not enough information to answer. Sorry, Steve, I, you know, um, reach back out to us, give us a little more clarification. I'd be, be happy to answer it once I understand what, you know, or once I can, can actually answer it. Yeah. And it's all going to based on what's happening in the region and in, in a hundred different, uh, yeah, I mean, things like price differentials, right? So you have it, and the going rate for it is $60 a barrel, but you can't move it. So you got to sell it cheaper because it only can be moved by rail. I mean, it's just, there's a million variables here. There's really not any way for me to answer this. Yeah, so send me an email or send Mark an email. Uh, I'm james at trybrocket.com. 
And Mark is mark.lacour, L-A-C-O-U-R, at modalpoint.com. And you can also get that in the show notes at triberocket.com forward slash TW36 for the 36 chambers of death, kid. (laughs) All right, Tom Moore. I would be interested in learning about redevelopment of mature oil fields that have been neglected or abandoned. Heard a little bit about small producers targeting this area in the industry. Oh, my goodness. This is where I started. This is taking me back to my roots, Mark LaCour. Talk about it. Yeah. So so what you're really talking about is what, something called well stimulation, which is really big right now. It's um, because of the low price of crude, it's, it's actually um, – t- no, I shouldn't say it that way. It's, right now, it's cheaper to go re-stimulate an existing well than to drill a new well, right? And that, that really doesn't have anything to do with the price of crude. Um, the price of crude is making more people do it because they can't make as much money when they drill a well as they used to be able to. So um, going out and stimulating um, what's mature fields or decommissioned fields um, is is huge. And it's, it's growing like crazy And that basically you use technology to increase production from a field that no longer is economically viable. And there's, there's you know, hundred different types of techniques just depends on the geology you're working at and whether it's onshore or offshore basically you go to a mature field who can't produce oil economically viably you re-stimulate that well all of a sudden it starts flowing more and now you can make money at it that was the biggest eye-opener for me when i came to texas and started working in oil and gas i was on the small corporate accounts team at drilling info and i couldn't well i couldn't i whatever i worked with accounts with less than nine employees and I didn't realize that 90% of the oil and gas in America is produced by small independent operators. Yeah. And in there, every single day, I talked to a dozen different guys that were Joe and Bill and Tom and, and, and Jeff. They had a rig and they're just going to go out there and, you know, we're just looking for about you know, 1,000 feet. Hey, man, if we can get this thing pumping for 30 years, we're good. Yeah, and even offshore, there's a small independent deep water operator here in the U.S. called Log, and it's spelled L-L-O-G. I, I did an interview with him a while back. And if you understand deep water operations, the words small and independent and deep water should not go together. But they're <laughs> no. doing it, and they're doing a fantastic job. Their success rate is way better than the majors. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's in the U.S., it's, it's all the small independent operators who produce the majority of the crude gas. That's a story we haven't told on the, on the show yet. We've We've often talked about how awesome America is because we own the minerals, but also how awesome it is that two guys in a, in a rig can go drill for oil. And make money. And Yeah, and make good money for 30 years, right? Yeah, and at the end, those two guys are now 200 guys, right? And so think of all the jobs they created. Think of all the trickle-down stuff. All those guys need clothes, they need trucks, they need equipment. I mean, think of all the money, the prosperity it's created by those two guys with their drill rig. Yeah, it's awesome. God bless America. All right. Yep. We we got some questions here that that people asked you at Unsaid Show, CDW, <laughs> Philip Dowler, what is the what does the future look like for HPC in the energy market? Can you define HPC? So HPC stands for high performance computing. Now, Philip, let me just correct you. It's not energy; it's oil and gas. That, now that we have that out of the way, um, can the, you? The, all right. So just because energy is is the um, a, a huge umbrella term. Is that why you're clarifying that? No. So in the U.S. especially, people lump oil and gas and energy, and they're two radically different um, verticals, two radically different markets. So think about it. Um, energy is low margin. Um, oil and gas is high margin. Energy is small. 
um, the biggest, um, and, and, and oil and gas is large, the biggest energy company I know is Con Ed on the East Coast, and it's $31 billion in revenue. As so are you, to- are you calling electricity companies energy? Yeah, then? yeah. Okay, people combine ele- electrical distribution and generation with oil and gas, and they, they don't even touch each other. You know, Con Ed doesn't have to worry about its people in Nigeria or the repatriation of cash from China. Exxon has to worry about stuff like that. <laughs> right. Um, and, and the ener- and oil and gas industry is global, and, and the energy industry is regional. It's usually regulated at the local level. So people outside lump those two together, but from a from a business point of view, they're two radically different industries. And from a sales and marketing point of view, they're two radically different. Oh industries. yeah, those are two Culture. different stories. Yeah, yeah. So you know, I, people call it energy, and, and I understand, but oil and gas is different energy. And I'm gonna tell you right now, you go to Exxon Mobil. No matter what their marketing is saying online right now, and go talk to one of their senior guys and call them an energy company, they're probably going to kick you out. They're going to, at the very least, tell you we're not an energy company; we're an oil company. So, anyway, what will the future look like for high performance computing and energy market? It's a great question because high performance computing, and uh, James and our listeners may not know this. So, high performance computing is exactly what it sounds. It's the Ferrari computers, right? It makes Watson look like a calculator. So. Um, High performance, the biggest high performance computing center in the world is right here in Houston. It was built by BP uh, three years ago. Um, where is it? Their, it's I, I, I don't, well, I don't. It's downtown Houston. I don't want to say where it is in case yeah, somebody, some yeah, crazy yeah. person I takes get, it. Good off. point. Um, but it's um, they use it for all their geoscience and 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 traditionally high performance computing has been used for the geoscience and and that's basically all the surveys and. and um, Echo and sonar and and, and um, all that sort of stuff where they're trying to figure out where these reserves are and, and they have all this data. Well, starting last year, and, and we think this will be a major driver in the future, it will be on our list. Now, that type of data, that large data that you need HPC for is starting to show up everywhere. So uh, in downstream, right? Look at all these different blends in the pipelines that's showing up to different parts of different refineries. That's a lot of data. How do you maximize that? Look at production, right? Chevron right now cannot go to one place and look at all its production globally in real time. And that's a, an issue because what if the price of Brent is better than the price of West Texas intermediary? Then Chevron would want to increase its production of Brent. Well, right now, there's no way for them to have line of sight to that. Think about things like um, your employees. You know, how many employees you have that speak Spanish? How valuable would that be if you knew which Spanish-speaking employees that you have? So, mm. uh, high-performance computing is now growing in oil and gas. It'll continue to grow. It's spreading out from upstream, um, and it, it's cool, right? It's it's this has always been a high-tech industry, but it's really cool to see. Um, and if you're a geek, um, you know, high-performance computing can crunch several hundred petabytes. That's what I was wondering. Yeah, yeah. that's exactly petabytes. what I was wondering. Petabytes. In a second, petabytes. Not terabytes, petabytes. Oh my god! Massive amount of data. So, right. so they, they, I hope that helped answer your question. It's it's the future's bright for HPC and oil and gas. So, if anybody doesn't know what a petabyte is, just Google it. But it's a lot of data. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot of data because you got your gig and then you got your you know all all the way up. Wow. All right. So, thank you for that. ABB name withheld. Yeah, there's a story behind the name withheld. So this guy wanted he recognized me, right? And so I was talking to him and he wanted to ask a question, but he wasn't sure his company would he'd be okay if he asked this question. So he goes, just don't tell my name and I'm fine. They won't know who I am. So that's where that came from. Got it. All right. So, and and I was kind of lamenting it. Oh, we're going to beat the dead horse. But you said we got some good things to talk about. So what's going to happen with Keystone Pipeline? Well, you have to read the question. That's, that's the question. What's What's going going to happen? Keystone Pipeline, right? Yeah. Yeah, So, um, so very interesting developments lately. So Keystone, Trans um, Canada, the owner of Keystone, Asked the U.S. government to pull its permit. Like they no longer wait for approval. They want to take it off the, the table, right? 
And I'm looking at that and go, why would they do that? After all these years, why would they do it? And the reason is, and if, you, if you've listened to me for any length of time, every year we do our forecasts. For the last three years, I've been saying that the Keystone Pipeline will get approved at the very end of the current administration so that the Democrats can take credit for jobs created. I've been saying that from the very beginning, um, and I actually think that's what was going to happen. And so what Keystone did, if I'm right about this, is very smart. They pulled, they wanted to pull their permitting process so that they wouldn't have to have conditional approval, which this current administration would make them jump through all kinds of hoops to get that approval. They figured – this is what I think. I mean it's not like the CEO of Keystone asked me about strategy, but I think they figured the best thing to do is pull the permit, wait for the next administration to come in-house, which would be much more friendly, and then reapply. And this way they don't have to make conditional meet, – meet conditions to approve it. Now here's where – Here's what verifies my thinking on here, at least in my head. So this happened just today. So normally when a company asks the federal government to pull their their permit from approval, the government does it, right? Why waste government money, taxpayer money, all that stuff to do something that the company doesn't want? The U.S. government today just told Keystone, we're not going to let you pull your permit. We're going to decide on it, whether you want us to or not. Oh, that's not a free market. Yeah, that to me just verifies the fact that this is a political game. Keystone, I think, was being very shrewd about it, and, and the current administration, I think, figured out what they were doing, and they don't want that to happen. They want to be able to approve it so that they can that party can get take claim for all the jobs it created. So it's be interesting to see what Keystone's next move is. It's a classic takeaway sale. Yeah, it's um, I, I didn't expect it coming, and, and honestly, as an American, and, and for for people that are listening, you know, sometimes I say things that might make some people think I'm not patriotic. I'm probably the most patriotic person you've met. I did four years of Marine Corps right out of high school. Um, but this is just this is just wrong. It's, if, a, if a private company asks the government to pull their permit, why does the government want to continue to spend our taxpayers' money on approving something the company asks to be pulled? And then from a, a historical point, no, this has never happened before. There's no precedent. Yeah, it's a, so it's just, you know, it's be interesting to see what happens, what Keystone's next move is. I wish we had a free market. All right. Thank you for that question, Name Withheld. <laughs> yes, Name Withheld. <laughs> All right. Nicholas Wilson from AES Drilling Fluid, Senior Technical Sales. Hello, TWIOG. So just throwing this out here, this is not part of the question. Uh, if you ever share this this podcast on Twitter, please hashtag it, TWIOG, trying to get that going. So uh, back to um, Nicholas's question. Hello, TWIOG. What are your thoughts on a traditional MBA program versus a specific energy MBA type degree. Given our discussion on energy, I'm not so sure now. (laughs) A MS usually and not MBA for letter's sake if you are into letters after names. Here is one I'm looking at. So it's a UC Denver uh, program. I'm still working in the upstream service side during these times, uh, I assume downtimes, and would like to better myself so when we come out of these times, I'm smarter, stronger, and faster for myself, family, and company. Thanks for any thoughts. Cheers, Nicholas. Before you jump in on that, first of all, I have to say that is an amazing philosophy on life right there. The wintertime, you can't change the seasons, but you can change yourself. And wintertime is always going to come, and we're in one. If you're in upstream oil and gas, we're in a wintertime. But for Six and a half thousand years of recorded history, the winter always passes, the night goes away, and there's three things that you can do during the winter hang, by, when you're hanging on. It's to get wiser, stronger, and better, and that's exactly what Nicholas is doing. So I want to just commend him for that awesome philosophy because that's what's, that's what's going to get him the success 
once the prices bounce back. So answer his question. I'll get off yeah, my so soapbox. Nicholas also reached out to me privately on LinkedIn, and we talked about this a little bit. So um, there's two totally separate ways you can look at this. So one is education is is never a waste of money. Um, so by him looking to get his MBA, especially with an energy, even though you and I just talked about how it really should be say oil and gas, but we get it, right? Because um, it's Denver. Um, <laughs> there's, there's, there's no way that he can waste his money doing this. No way. Now, uh, this is something I told Nicholas, and I've seen this happen uh, in the last five years. It used to be in the 80s and 90s, if you got an MBA, you, you, you literally were destined for upper management, any company you work for, right? It was one of the prerequisites. And the same was true in oil and gas. And now um, there's a lot of MBAs in oil and gas. It's actually gotten to be almost common. And so what um, senior management is looking for now is experience and performance, not necessary education. Now, with that said, certain positions, um, my wife just went through this a, a few years ago, certain positions require a certain level of education. So it's basically a checkbox. So what I told Nicholas is, I think this is a great thing for you to do. Um, just know that it doesn't guarantee anything. It's still your performance and experience, but it is a checkbox that maybe you're somebody else that was compete for that the next position that you want may not have and which will give you a leg up. But I do agree with you, James. This guy's mind is in the right place, right? So many people in this industry are doom and gloom and, and Nicholas is over here going, what can I do to like just kick butt? Yeah, how can back? I kick ass? Yeah, yeah I love, love it. it. It's so, yeah, this is everyone in, that's listening to this, please just adopt that philosophy. You're going to do just fine. All right, Adam uh, from Birch Operating Systems. He is the Director of Professional Relationships. Love that title. Fantastic title. This is my exact position in business right now. My company is newer to the oil and gas industry. We have developed several software and hardware solutions for the EMP section of the industry. We are growing based on word of mouth and our sales force out in the field, which we couldn't be happier with. My question is, with market growth growing forward, how does a smaller service or goods provider establish relationships with large operators and other operators where no re reputation or relationship exists? Vendor slash approved, you know, vendor approved suppliers list, expos. Also, if you have time, if you could please touch on the best practices within them. Thanks, Adam. So, Adam, awesome question. I, I For my business, I get this sort of stuff a lot. Um, and let me just tell you, it's a waste of your time to spend any effort to try to get on an approved supplier list, right? Testify. What you need, yeah, what you need to do is get somebody in that company interested in what you do. Specifically, what problem does your hardware software solve and who at Chevron or Exxon Shell has that problem? I promise you, if they're struggling with that problem and you solve it, they will talk to you. Um, and if they see you as somebody that can fix that problem, they will fast track you on the approved vendor list so they can buy from you. But going out first and trying to get an approved vendors list will do nothing. And even if you got on there, which is doubtful, it doesn't mean anybody will buy from you, right? That, that's, that's two separate stories. So that's a waste of your time. The expos, I, we'll talk about that on the next question um, because it, it's, it's the way I don't have to say the same thing twice. Mm -hmm. uh, but as far as, as a small vendor uh, getting uh, relationships with the larger operators or super major or whatever, it's actually easy to do. We do it all the time. Um, there's several different ways. Um, the, the first thing that you can do 
is actually, like I said, find the prop person that has the problem that you solve and engage with the dialogue with them. Don't try to sell them anything. Do not call them if you don't know them and say, hey, we can solve X, Y, Z. They get that a million dollars a day. Go talk to them like a person, right? Sit down with them. Try to understand their world. Spend more time questioning than, than talking. Learn what they're dealing with. And they'll tell you. This industry loves to talk, right? It's, it's a people business, uh, people doing business. If you just dummy up and just start asking, well, how does that work? Tell me more. Yeah, they, they, yeah. Will, they will just they will tell they'll 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 hold a seminar for you. On yeah. Thing. Do not show it with a PowerPoint deck as a as a demo or presentation. Show it with a pen and paper and some open ears and just talk. Um, so that's that. And, and I mean, we we do that all the time. It's it's it. Trust me, it's not that hard. Um, the other thing you can do is um, you can look at. Um, Certain organizations in the industry, I'll give you a good example. So the API, American Controlling Institute, API is the largest um, political organization uh, representing the rights of oil and gas industry in Congress. But we also set all the standards for everything offshore. If you go offshore and you wash your hands with soap, that soap meets some API standard. So um, here in Houston, there's a local API chapter, which I actually it's sit on the board. O'clock. The people that go to these luncheons are the people that you probably want to meet, right? The senior people. Show up, be personal, have business cards. Um, don't try to sell anything. Learn, meet these people, participate in some of the API events. Then some of the, you know, the Bakers and the Halliburtons and the Exxon start seeing you as a peer and they will ask you what you do. Um, I, I've actually seen, I've helped companies do this where, you know, their rep actually spent time meeting people, learning what they do, not ever talking about himself. And it took him about a year and a half. So it's not something that's going to happen next week. But after about 18 months of doing that and volunteering for stuff, not only did people start asking what he did, they would go introduce him to who he needed to talk to in the company because they saw him as an asset. So, um, you know, hopefully it helps you understand, you know, that there's no shortcut. There's no website you can go on. There's no place where you just go hand somebody a business card, uh, you know, get rid of the elevator's pitch and your value prop and all that sort of stuff and, and go out and try to help people. And I promise you it will work. Well, you just made the point about the website, and that, that was my addition to this. Turn your website into that resource, too. Yeah, absolutely. Turn your absolutely. website into that resource because when you go out there and you sit down and you have that that attitude of helping in 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 teaching and what Jay Bear calls utility, you can take all of the stuff that you do offline and put it online. And you're not only networking one-to-one. I mean, you can create a blog post, a podcast, a video, anything – Mark does a lot of really great videos. He's both of us, him and I are talking to thousands of people right now and we're not even around. Right. And so if you if you turn your website into that resource that can draw people to you and and show that you have authority, that you know what you're talking about, that will go a long way. And then you can use that in your sales process as well. Is, yeah, then your sales process actually changes. Instead of you trying to push something down somebody's throat that they don't want, people come to you that are hungry for what you have. Right. And just to clarify, you don't write blog posts and articles about yourself. No. People you write it about that. your expertise. And give away stuff for free. Like you go to my website and you want to see what's the top technology trends in oil and gas. I give that away for free. I could sell that, right? I give away valuable information and people see me as an expert and my phone rings. Thanks to James. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Take that iTunes reviewer we'll get to. Um, so, all right. Um, next and, and last in the questions, Sabre Industries, uh, Michael Crutchio. What's the best way to use an oil and gas conference to secure business, not generate leads, but actually close deals? 
Yeah, good question. It's funny. I was just talking about this earlier this week. So 20 years ago, when I got in the oil and gas industry, you actually, conferences were great lead generation. You'd sit there with your fishbowl, people would walk by, you'd get their business cards, they'd go in the top of your funnel, and eventually at the end, two or three or four would come out and actually close business at the bottom of your funnel. That's gone, folks. <laughs> Technology has eliminated all of that. No more. Uh, 20 years ago, the only way people could find out what they did was things like events or talking to salespeople or read magazines. They couldn't go online to find anything. Now they go online in five minutes, find out more about you and your competitors than, than they could ever find an event. What events are good for right now is bottom of the funnel stuff. So I'm going to give you um, I'll give you here, I'm going to give the whole audience $10,000 worth of free consulting. Um, this is something we, we do with our clients and it works like clockwork. And I'm going to give you a real example. So uh, we have a client who's the problem that they fixed is – uptime during a turnaround, right? How quickly can you get a turnaround done? That's what Shell and Exxon, Chevron. Can you define turnaround for anybody that doesn't know? Oh, I'm sorry. Turnaround is a, a, takes place in downstream in, in refineries when they take a unit of the refinery offline for planned maintenance or repair. And the cost to that company is the downtime of that unit. Because while it's, they're working on it, it's not making jet fuel or ethylene or gasoline or whatever. So everybody's goal is to get it up as quick as possible. I have a client who's who's it's actually a technology company whose technology improves that process and decreases the downtime of that unit. So there's a huge oil and gas show every year. It's called OTC here in Houston. It's the largest oil and gas uh, trade show in the world, and it's the third largest trade show of any kind in the world. Now, a lot of people say, "Oh, we'll set up a booth." Nope, I would not let my client do it. That's what their marketing team wanted to do. What we did – now, remember, so you have everybody in the world here in Houston that's interested in oil and gas. And we're but, talking, hey, there goes an African prince. Hey, there goes there goes Iranian royalty. Everybody. So we piggybacked off that traffic. We knew it was here, but why waste money with a booth that wouldn't do anything? So we actually sponsored a breakfast, and we paid for a speaker to come in who was an expert on increasing efficiencies during a turnaround. Now, think about that. Everybody that was willing to get up at 8 in the morning and go to this breakfast had an interest – and turnaround efficiencies. What did my client do? Increase efficiencies during a turnaround. So by using the topic and the speaker, by very, very selective, we segmented our audience. The people that show up, we knew were high value prospects because they showed up. And there's 31 people that showed up. My client's sales team set 17 meetings and they closed nine new deals, nine new logos. The cost, $1,500. Where else could you spend $1,500 and pick up nine new logos? You can't. So that's how you actually use events. A webinar, just throwing that in there. Yeah, use events to actually close deals. Not generate leads, but close deals. But you have to really think it through, and you have to know what problem your product or solution fits, right? Um, and so that, you know, hopefully, uh, Michael, that helps uh, answer your question. And then hopefully, uh, back to um, Adam, that helps answer the, the part of your question that I skipped because I didn't want to tell the same story twice. Yeah, this is – Man, great stuff. We we covered a lot of ground and we got a lot of great questions. Thank you to everyone. A big salute uh, to you for writing in. Let's move on. I, I told Mark I'm going to skip the weekly onion for him, but I'm still going to put one in there. I just what we just needed to get on the call. And apologies that it said it's six o'clock because I forgot to turn off my uh, clock announcement. So at any rate, let's move over to our iTunes reviews. Because we, man, we killed it this week. We got four reviews. That's awesome. Four. That's the, that was the most in a week. So thank you, anyone who wants to join these people in reviewing. Uh, we couldn't thank you enough. iTunes is a search engine, and you're helping us 
you know, more people find the show when you leave these reviews. And you can do that just by going to triberocket.com forward slash TW reviews. All right. So um, I'm going to save the best for last, Mark. Uh, but let's start here. All right. Bakken Field Sales. We're getting a lot of salespeople listening to the show. That's good. Yeah. So um, October 30th, 2015, Expert Global Energy News and Education, best energy podcast ever. <laughs> That's awesome. Love the energy personality breakdowns and insight, not just some old timers speculating. Keep up <laughs> the great work. Awesome. That's great. You're not an old timer, Mark. Yeah. So, you know. Taking stride. All right. Um, and then I'm going to come down here. Dan Anderson, uh, great update perspectives and a chance to learn five stars. I started listening to the podcast a few months ago. I've been in the oil and gas industry in Houston for about four years, and the podcast is a great way to further my knowledge and understanding of the industry. That's a really great point because it wasn't until I got to Houston and Mark said, hey, James, there's actually more than than, than upstream you need to learn. Um, so yeah, you're you're experiencing the fruits of, of Mark LaCour's uh, genius over here. Sorry. Um, it's also a great way to get a perspective and update on what's going on in the industry, both local and international levels. It's presented in a way that's easy to understand and doesn't assume too much technical knowledge either. This is a must listen for anyone serious in the O and G game. That's yeah. Awesome. We got game. We got uh, game. <laughs> we got game, baby. Um I love this title right here, Moving the Oil and Gas Industry Forward, because you know that's my mission, Mark, right? Yeah. That's my mission is to drag this industry kicking and screaming into the 25th, uh, 25th, 21st century. Um, But so five stars, uh, my gula. So uh, that's the name. You're uh, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) You're doing it wrong if you are in the industry and aren't listening to this pod. Honest, informative conversations about relevant news, topics, and issues related to oil and gas. Stop reading this and subscribe. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Take action, right? Take Actual action. Stuff. Call yeah. to action. He threw in a call to action, which, you know, we never know. We never really, uh, we've never mentioned that. And maybe some people don't even know that in, in terms, because we mentioned iTunes a lot. And I know that given the traffic on my site, there's a lot of people that listen on the site. But if you have an iPhone, you have a native app there called Podcast, and if you just open it up and enter This Week in Oil, our show will pull up, and then you can click the subscribe button, and then the shows will just show up in your phone. So just one thing to think about as we transition over to my favorite, favorite review of all time. Of all time? Oh, this is way better than the one star. Okay. Let's do it. Let's <laughs> way it. better. This is from UT65. I'm guessing he's 65 because he doesn't like my references. November 1st, 2015. Good despite James. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, I'm going to try and put it together here. All right. This is an excellent weekly review of oil and gas headlines from around the world, despite the best efforts of James Hahn II to make you turn off the podcast whenever he speaks. <laughs> All right. Mark LaCour is an expert who, who will simplify and explain the headlines chosen to be discussed for the week. He keeps to the facts and informs the listeners on a broad spectrum of topics from upstream to downstream. James on the second is either totally out of his element and has no idea what the oil industry is about, or he plays the perfect heel by feigning ignorance on every oil and gas related topic. I'll put topic in there because he missed it. 
to induce Mark into explaining these topics for the layperson. James's random accents, yeah, are confusing and offensive. His political off-topic side notes are unnecessary from the facts presented. He will randomly talk about movies and TV shows. You need to see like an unemployed cousin with too much time on his hands. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this guy is killing it. And the amount of times he says, uh, um, uh, um, will drive you crazy. But I will still keep listening because Mark LaCour is just so well-read and informative. Great podcast for the oil and gas professional. But we would all be better off if with Siri reading headlines to Mark LaCour. <laughs> so he can summarize, I'm telling you. So he could summarize and explain it. it all to us without his counterpart jumping in to distract and annoy. Unless James is just feigning ignorance and in that case, should just stop doing accents and saying, um. And so if I was to summarize this for you, Mr. LaCour, I think what he's saying is, if it's not Mark LaCour's cup, <laughs> I'm sorry. It's the best. It's the guy hates me. I, I, we, we do need to work on your accents, but that's that's another subject. No, my accents are, are a good time for me. <laughs> Are you telling me I can't do a good Scottish accent? Your Scottish, you, your accents, you have two or three accents that you do, and they sound like they're a mixture of stuff from all over the world. Oh, I, dis I disagree, Mark LaCour. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I'm just like totally uh, milking a, whatever, beating a dead horse there. Um, so thank you to everyone who did those reviews. We're at 45 minutes right now, so we got to pick up the pace. But that was quite an ex extensive, amazing. The guy hates me, and he, and he leaves four stars. Salute to you, UT65. All right, and so let's just whip through these, uh, these events as, as quick as we can so we can uh, re respect everyone's times here. So uh, we have um, Energy Corridor, and I just said um real long. Energy Corridor Professionals Happy Hour. Tell us about it. Yeah, a bunch of energy guys and girls get together, have drinks and hors d'oeuvres. It's free. If you're a, a subscriber to my uh, event list, you, you have the invite there. You have to register ahead of time. I'm going to be there. Um, looks like it'll be a good time. All right. Yeah. And by the way, I, I forgot to mention this the last couple episodes. If you want to get on Mark's list to just get all of these events straight to your inbox, it's tribrocket.com forward slash events. That'll take you straight to Mark's page where you can put in your email and he'll send you out that email once a month with everything that's happening. All right, API Houston Luncheon. Yep, uh, you need to be there, quite simply. Yep. I'll be there. Uh, it's, uh, this will be a great luncheon. We have great speakers. We're having a mini tech um, expo. So we have a bunch of vendors there um, that are showcasing their stuff. If you're in the oil and gas industry and if you're in the Houston area, come join the API. Our money goes for a great cause. It's $25 a year. Um, if you're in sales and marketing, you can rub elbows with some very senior people. Um, we also have a young professionals group. So if you're 35 years of age or younger or less than five years experience, come join the young professionals group. They're rocking and rolling. And you said tech expo. How do you mean? So we have a, we have a, a it's it's a mini expo. We have vendors with exhibits out there showing off. And we have Texas Terminals, American Block, um, Crawford Electricity, Bridgepoint Consulting, uh, Air New Zealand, Techmar. So you'll actually get to see what these companies do without being feel like somebody's trying to sell you something. Perfect. And let's talk about this chili cook-off. Okay, folks, y'all got to go. I go to this every year. It's a trip. This is ISA Houston's uh, Expo and Chili Cook-off. It is kind of out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> um, but it's, um, it's, it's a bunch of engineers 
basically that work for a bunch of companies that are challenged to cook chili. And it's a, just a great time. It's dirt floor and it's free chili and free beer. And you get to around, walk around, taste all these different chilies. You're full by the end of it. And it's everybody, made by engineers was the point you were making, right? Yeah, everybody in there is um, in the oil and gas industry. And James, I'll send you a link to uh, some video a video short that I did, I think last year, year before, where these engineers use some process controls and they built this automated chili machine. So you would walk by, press a button, and, and it would robotically dispense your chili in a cup and hand it to you. I mean, it's just crazy, but it's, it's, you know, it's a great time. It's, it's good. It's, um, it's a bit cowboyish, um, but I love that. Right. It's, it's, well, it's Texas, always, man. Yeah. People in the oil and gas industry, letting their hair down, having fun, mingling, having a beer or two. So, you know, once again, it's free. If you're on my list, you, you got to invite, you got to register for it, but um, I'm going to be there. Uh, reach out to me on Twitter, Mark underscore liqueur, and I'll be happy to connect with you. Awesome. And I was going so fast, I forgot to mention the date. So the Energy Corridor Professionals Happy Hour, that's Tuesday, November 10th. So next Tuesday, uh, 4.30 to 7.30 p.m. API Luncheon is also on that same Tuesday, uh, 10.30 to 1 p.m. And then the Chili Cook-Off is on Thursday, November 12th from 5 to 9. So go see how much chili you can eat in in, uh, four hours. (laughs) (laughs) All right. um, We're we're rapid fire on, on the LinkedIn group. Yeah, folks, if, um, if, if you're listening to podcasts, could join Lincoln Group. We have a great group. We help each other. It's a way for you to engage further with this. It just works really well, and we love to see you at the, in the LinkedIn Group. Awesome. And you can get there at tribrocket.com forward slash LinkedIn. I think uh, the, the, just to close one more time, this was our second edition of the First Friday Q&A. Thank you to everyone who wrote in. If you have a, your own question, all you have to do is go to tribrocket.com forward slash QA. If you're on a desktop or a laptop, you'll see a button on the side where you can leave us a voicemail, or you can even just write your submission right there, and we will, we will talk to you all in this fashion next First Friday. So having said all that, are you ready to go at 49 minutes? Yeah, we need to get out of here. So yeah. folks, do great work, pay it forward, and we will see you next time. Go find some grease, guys. me i don't think he hates you i just don't think he likes you talking i think those are two different things